Welcome to Love in the Time of COVID-19. It's been a few weeks for most of us that we have been in a socially distanced environment. <laughs> Who am I kidding? I have no idea how long it's been or even what day it is for that matter. I, I swear it's like I'm in some kind of a time warp where I have no idea what happens to the day. I wake up and next thing I know, it's time to go to bed. It is the most surreal environment to be in and I am sure I'm not the only one experiencing it and I don't know maybe it's a, a mechanism uh, of the brain that sort of protects us from the anxiety and the stress or at least you know for part of the day until you know it's five o'clock somewhere and you can pour yourself a glass of something something <laughs> I mean that is for anyone who enjoys an adult beverage now and again and please drink responsibly at least the majority of us are not driving anywhere so we can kind of rest easy on that note if you're on social media most of us are uh, you've probably seen all of the memes out there about the drinking the quarantini recipes the mommy's preschool prosecco well actually i haven't seen that one i had just made it up <laughs> but it's kind of brilliant uh and i'm sure you'll probably see it uh, later today if not tomorrow mommy's preschool prosecco a friend of mine on facebook actually invited me to join a group that is all about the drink where everybody's supposed to do a shot at eight o'clock at night and it seemed at first, I was kind of concerned for all of the people in this Facebook group because they all, I mean, at 10 o'clock, people are, you know, posting pictures of their Bloody Marys and five o'clock, they're posting pictures of whatever cocktail they're having. And so I was like, wow, this is a lot going on here. And then I started to see the posts from people in the group who were losing loved ones to COVID-19 and all of the support from thousands and thousands of members of this group, the outpouring of love and sympathy was really just kind of beautiful. So I get that, you know, this is an opportunity for people to come together and people are definitely toasting and we, we've gotten around to saying slancha at the house, which is kind of fun. I mean, I'm kind of really the only one drinking. Maybe I let my college kid, who's who's the oldest, have a, have a little uh, cheers with me occasionally. But for the most part, it's all me. And so, slancha we say, salut we say. So send me your favorite toasts, love in the time of COVID nineteen at gmail dot com. Maybe I'll read them off. That would be kind of fun. Love in the time of COVID nineteen at gmail dot com is also where you can send your love letters. Because that's ultimately what we do here, is, is spread love, not virus. So email me those as well. But with all of the, uh, the drinking memes and the, the drinking that a lot of people are doing, I started to wonder how the adult beverage industry might be doing. Because so many businesses are shut down and will likely not recover. But it seems to me, anyway, that the adult beverage industry was doing quite well. Uh, so I figured I would go to the source and ask an expert in the industry. And hey, oh, look at that. I know someone. Hmm. So I reached out to a dear friend, Michelle Wallach, who uh, is with me, not with me, with me. But uh, she's from Chateau Minuti, so I, I'm able to do a quick interview with her. And uh, she's going to answer some questions and talk about the state of the industry. Here's that interview now. Hi, Michelle. Hi. 
How are you? I'm great. Thank you for asking. How's the quarantining going for you? It's um, it's going, Julie. <laughs> it's going, isn't it? Isn't it though? It's going slow, isn't it? Though? Well, so I, so I, I hate to make you focus on on business, but I appreciate your willingness and uh, your captivating self because uh, we got nothing else to do at the moment. So we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk business. You would think that out of all of the businesses, since most everything has been shut down, you know, some restaurants are still open. Uh, but but you would think that the beverage industry would would actually be doing fairly well. Is that the case? Yeah, I mean it's a yes and no question. So when you sell a wine or a spirit, and it goes into two different channels. So either you're selling into the restaurants, we say on premise, so you're drinking on the premises. So a hotel, a restaurant, a bar, that has completely been obliterated across the U.S. So that for a lot of people is 50 to 70, even 100 percent of some wine companies or liquor businesses. So that's really been, you know, a, a catastrophe in terms of sales um, for many wine companies. And then the other side is, of course, retail. Gratefully, in the state of New York, we've been deemed, you know, quote, an essential business. But really, in the U.S., only three markets, New York, Illinois, and Massachusetts, are really the three independent markets where we can be, um, we're not sold at grocery stores, where stores are separate entities. For the most part, you know, we're seeing a lot of e-commerce businesses like Wine.com do sensational. I mean, they were doing something like $300,000 in revenue a day and they went up to $1 million. What? Yeah. It's unbelievable. So grateful for them for being strong and for, you know, pumping out the sales. But then if you just look at our own city in New York, you know, every store, um, if you're in a neighborhood on the Upper West Side, your local store might be doing well. But they have limited hours, they have limited delivery people, and then just limited people in the store. And then you also have areas in more, um, you know, more hotel areas or more touristy areas like Times Square or um, Columbus Circle that are really catered towards um, that type of visitor. So they're closed. So it's a little bit of a misnomer. So yeah, sales are doing great. E-commerce is, is doing high. Um, club business is doing well. Costco is doing well because people have to get their groceries and are also getting spirits. In those places, you're not necessarily um, successful. And then keeping in mind, you're losing half your business in restaurants and bars and hotels. And what do you think the recovery is going to be like? Because oh. I know there's a lot of businesses, restaurants especially, are, are not coming back from this. It's going to be it's going to be rough. I mean, you know, outside of the business side, it hurts. It hurts our hearts. These are our friends, you know, to be in the restaurant business, you have to, you know, you're not making tremendous margin. You're making your margin on the alcohol sales. You're not making on food because those margins are really thin. Right. Um, and the most successful restaurants in the world, if they have a bad month, they could be out of business. Um, right. So then keep in mind the little mom and pop shops, so it, you know, it just hurts to, to see these people that have such passion for, 
bringing people to the communal table and to showing their favorite recipes and curating beautiful wine lists that they will, you know, that they'll potentially be extinct after, you know, we get back to some sort of normalcy. I've seen Tom Colicchio and I believe Guy Fieri have both started uh, an effort to help the service industry people, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is great because you gotta, you, you gotta figure you know, how many people in one restaurant are now completely out of a job, especially if it's a restaurant that isn't a takeout kind of a, you know, or delivery type restaurant. It's, it's phenomenal. There's a lot of folks that are stepping to the table. Um, Danny Meyer was on 60 Minutes last night um, talking about, you know, Roar, which is one of the organizations that are supporting financial aid for New York City uh, restaurant workers specifically. That's Um, great. But there's a lot of different platforms across the country but we're talking in the u.s i believe it's something like 12 million people work in restaurants across the country that will potentially be out of work so it's well, significant yeah that 12 million uh, the 10 million uh, who filed for unemployment there you go there you go <laughs> <laughs> the, the other two are are maybe the lucky ones who are still getting to do a little takeout and delivery that we haven't be, we haven't heard from yet that makes me want to ask you some basic wine questions if that's okay of course (laughs) i love it so i so chateau minuti is i guess they're known for their rosé is that accurate 100 percent accurate rosé producer through and through got it i can guarantee you that there are people out there who think that rosé is just a little bit of white and a little bit of red mixed together (laughs) yeah sure It's not though, right? It's not made in a beaker. <laughs> so can you do me a favor and, and for, for anybody that might not know exactly what, where a rosé comes from, can you give us a little rundown of what a rosé is? Yeah. And, you know, rosé is produced all over the world. And I think, you know, the 80s made um, made really, basically created the white Zinfandel craze uh, where you had that sweet profile that maybe make some people not everybody but some people pause when they think about rosé thinking that it's sweet or cloying um but then Saint-Tropez the south of France Provence um who's been making rosé you know since the 1950s 60s make a really uh specific style of rosé that's light in color that's grenache based grenache led that's really um has the fruit, but it was also bone dry that created that trend, um, what we've seen for the last 15 years, specifically in the U.S. So really rosé, you know, well-made rosé is made with the intention of not runoff juice from their Cabernet production and trying to make a quick buck. It's really people that are curating and harvesting and planting specific grapes that will make rosé wine. And for us at Chateau Minuti, we're making Grenache wines uh, with some Syrah, with some Cinso, and a couple other local varietals, one called Tiburon, which is a fun fun wine to say, a fun varietal, Tiburon. But really the wine, it's about, um, we handpick the grapes so that when we actually press the juice, we don't have a lot of, you know, when you use machine harvests in, in wine production, it can be it can be almost a little clumsy. So when you're hand picking the grapes, it's more delicate, and then you're extracting very delicately the juice so that the color isn't too prominent. We don't want a really dark 
rosé wine. We don't want it too dark pink. Um, and really, we're making wines so that we're getting that color and that extraction. So you just went total wine geek on me, which is really kind of fantastic, even a little bit sexy. I might just say, if someone asks, is rosé a little bit of red and a little bit of white? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> or listen to episode, you know, of Love in the Time of COVID-19, and you could hear Michelle Wallach, expert, talk about it. <laughs> that was fantastic. Thank you for You're that. You're so welcome. Uh, so I know, you know, usually there's the rule of, you drink white with seafood, reds with meat, but we've kind of done away with that. What? Where does rosé fall into the, the menu category? Oh, fun. So I'll say that rosé in general is really versatile. You can have it as an aperitif. You can have it without food. Um, you can have it with, you know, Mediterranean cuisine for sure, like ceviche, oysters, you know, Greek salads, um, light pastas. I would say you could definitely have rosé with many different foods. I wouldn't have it with a sirloin is probably like the one thing I would say that maybe it's not the correct pairing because right. you want right. something more tannic because rosé doesn't have a structure. There's no tannins really in rosé. Rosé is meant to be drunk year round. I mean, it got a little bit of a a thing for being in the summer and being, you know, more seasonal, but I drink white wine in the winter. I certainly drink, you know, red wine in the summer. So for me, rosé is just that thing that, you know, really can go with the most variety of dishes. And that's why I like to serve it a lot. So if I wanted to maybe bring uh, some rosé, sure, maybe some Chateau Minuti, of course, and maybe some cheese and a baguette and, and go into Central Park and have... Um, Governor Cuomo oh. play some songs on the guitar for me. Would that you think that would be a good pairing? I think I think you're assuming he plays the guitar, or do we know this for a fact? I, I kind of <laughs> actually don't care if he plays the guitar. <laughs> Here's some thoughts, Julie. Me. You're gonna have to fight a lot of women and men. He is always has been something, but he is obviously have has become a hero for us, just not in New York, but nationally as a voice of reason and a Agreed. voice of direction too, of what to do and how to handle this. But I'm yep. sorry, take me back to your date, more importantly. <laughs> with with my date with the love gov. <laughs> the love yeah, gov. He, he has earned <laughs> that nickname, but it also, what it does is it brings us full circle as to why we're here and doing this podcast, why I am doing this podcast, because even though we are all kind of super stressed and feeling kind of anxious and waiting to see what's going to happen next, and there are definitely people who are not doing well and who who have lost loved ones and it's devastating and it's heartbreaking and so my hope with starting this podcast was to try to bring a little light and a little love and maybe even a little romance we're going to spread some love not some virus and so I had you know I, I started reading some love letters and so I'm going to ask you do you have a love letter that you uh, want to share with us I do I actually have always loved the mortal beloved by Beethoven and he Ooh. and a little fun fact I mean it's something that I I believe I read in high school it's short um and then of course Sarah Jessica Parker had to rip it off and <laughs> use it in Sex and the City the movie with her and Big and just yeah me look super pedestrian <laughs> 
Hardly. That was it. It elevated it. Come on. It's no, Mr. I, Big. <laughs> please. Who doesn't love Sex and the City? Uh, it's an ode to New York in a sense. So, oh, so you, are you going to read that for us? I am. I'm going to read it for you. And just fun fact, yeah. um, it was a mystery who Beethoven's immortal beloved is, or was, mm. I should say, not is. And her name was Julie. So just putting that out there. For was, it, was it now? It was. <laughs> so I'm just going to close my eyes. I'm going to give you the floor. And here's Michelle with Immortal Beloved. Good morning on 7th of July. Even in bed, my ideas yearn towards you, my immortal beloved. Here and there joyfully, then again sadly, awaiting from fate, whether it will listen to us. I can only live either altogether with you or not at all. Yes, I have determined to wander about for so long far away until I can fly into your arms and call myself quite at home with you, can send my soul enveloped by yours into the realm of spirits. Yes, I regret it must be. You will get over it all the more as you know my faithfulness to you. Never another one can have or own my heart. Never, never. Oh God, why must one go away from what one loves so, and yet my life in W, as it is now, is a miserable life. Your love made me the happiest and unhappiest at the same time. At my actual age, I should need some continuity, sameness of life. Can that exist under our circumstances? Angel, I just hear that the post goes out every day and must close, therefore, so that can you get to the L at once. Be calm. Love me today, yesterday. What longing and tears for you. You, my life, my all, farewell. Oh, go on loving me. Never doubt the faithfulest heart of your beloved, L. Ever thine, ever mine, ever ours. Wow. I love that there, there's a line in there that says, you made me the happiest and unhappiest at mm -hmm. the same time. Can that be Dude, that's, true? <laughs> that's love right there. And that is truth, <laughs> right? Absolutely. And thank you for bringing it and dropping it here with us. Love to drop it. Before before I let you go, if people wanted to get to their paws on some Chateau Minuti, how can they do that? Oh, we have a, some great retail partners. Definitely Wine.com for sure. And Sherry Lehman here in New York. Uh, Michelle, thank you so much for taking time out of your extremely busy, busy schedule, which actually you are kind of busy, but <laughs> uh, I'm watching the paint dry like all of us. So I'm fine. Yeah, well, fair enough. But, but thanks. Thanks for being here awesome. and dropping the knowledge. Uh, wash your hands. Don't touch your face and stay well. And, and I'll, I'll see you on the other side. Yeah, on the other side. Well, I hope you learned a little bit about uh, rosé making. <laughs> we can maybe be a little wine geeky ourselves now. And as always, I, I can only apologize about the audio quality of the interviews. It's the best I can do from the studio situation that I am in. So hopefully it uh, was okay enough for you to enjoy. So as I was planning the episode and thinking that I wanted to maybe shine some light on these wine and spirits industry, I also figured, you know what, let me shine a light on, on the people on the other side of it, the ones who aren't drinking, the ones who don't drink, the ones who are sober. And there are a lot of people who are sober, who are now isolated, who are now maybe being triggered and struggling and challenged 
by this incredibly stressful time. And so as I was thinking about wanting to shine a light on the other side of it, I realized, oh, it's two completely different episodes. So I'm going to leave you with a kind of cliffhanger so you can catch the next episode where I interview a sober mom on the next love in the time of COVID-19. But don't worry, that's not all. I'm not leaving you just yet. I do have a love letter to share. I got one from a friend, Edie Scott, and it's a letter from her father, Marty, to her mom, Zelda. I love that name. So I'm going to share that with you. And of course, make sure you head over to Instagram because you'll see a picture of the beautiful couple, Marty and Zelda. They were married over 50 years. And Edie, when she sent me uh, the letter, she shared a little bit about their story. And they met through a Jewish matchmaker, you know, the one who finds the nice Jewish boy for the nice Jewish girl. And uh, Edie's dad, Marty, said that when Zelda opened the door, he heard bells. And the rest was history. So I'm going to read you this beautiful letter that Marty wrote to Zelda. And like I said, I will put a picture of it up uh, on Instagram so you could see it's in his handwriting. It's so sweet. It is written on the Penwells Hotel Stationery. And he's, he's clearly away for work. In approximately 72 hours, I will once again be basking in those splendid rays. There are three machines that are scheduled to leave here Friday for the National Geographic magazine in Washington, D.C. We are all very busy trying to meet this schedule. Before I called you this evening, we met a Mr. I'm going to keep the name private, who is the purchasing agent of our Wellsboro plant. He has a part ownership in a small airplane and has offered to take several of us up for a ride over the Grand Canyon. I, for one, am not going. For as you know, I have no love for airplane rides, especially in a single-engine plane. Dear Zelda, I miss you terribly. And I hope when I get back, I can arrange things so that we will never again be separated. Love and kisses with all my heart, Marty. Now, I've read you some, some letters from my grandfather, Harold, to Grandma Selma. And he would say the same thing, that we will never be apart again. We will never be separated again. It's so beautiful and touching and emotional because I know a lot of people are not with their loved ones in this time of isolation. Two of my kids are not with their girlfriends, and I know it's been hard on them. Thank goodness for social media. Thank goodness for FaceTime. So if you're not doing that, check in with your loved ones, FaceTime, talk, even family members. I had a thread going with the cousins the other day. <laughs> oh my goodness. But that does bring us to the end of another episode of Love in the Time of COVID-19. I hope you were finding some time to love yourself. And after you've done that, maybe do something for someone else. If it's clapping and hollering outside at 7 p.m. to thank all of the frontline essential workers. I cry every time I see those videos. Or 8 p.m. Go howl at the moon because that moon is amazing. There's actually a Facebook group for that, too giving feels good so give a little even if it's just a smile even if it's just a silly emoji you send to somebody 
In the meantime, wash your hands, don't touch your face, and spread love, not COVID-19. I'm Julie Stampler. Stay well.